amongst our Protestant brothers and sisters, there is a proliferation of new denominations. And now, most recently, all those denominations have been breaking down into even smaller little pieces. We call these uh, like non-denominational or inter-denominational churches. And uh, many of them would say that even though there are lots of little pieces, lots of little groups and, and churches, that they still have a unity, that they're united under Christ. And there are some things in which they have a strong unity, things like... Um, have most of the books of the Bible and uh, belief in the Holy Trinity and in other such teachings. But there's others where they would disagree with one another, whether or not to baptize infants or what type of uh, government to have in your church, um, things about predestination and, and other things, lots of disagreements amongst those types of things, amongst our Protestant brothers and sisters. As Catholics, we have uh, even more than an invisible unity. We have an, a visible unity, something that you can see. So as Catholics, we have unity when it comes to our government. The Catholic Church around the world is governed by bishops uh, under the Holy Father. We have a unity of canon law. That means church law. We have uh, a unity of worship. The Mass is celebrated all over the world. And of course, a unity of belief. We have the same catechism. It's a very visible, very strong unity, an old unity. A unity that I would go so far as to say is unparalleled in any institution, in any government, or any entity around the world. And the church has upheld this unity for the past 2,000 years. Today, I would like to share with you the secret to this unity. The secret to the unity found in the Catholic Church is actually a chair. The secret is a chair. It's kind of a, a might, they might think that. So I'd like to talk about that chair today. Today we are celebrating the solemnity of the chair of St. Peter. This is traditionally celebrated on the 22nd of this month by Bishop Lopes, uh, moved it to today so that all of you could participate in this most sacred solemnity. It's our feast of title, so St. James is part of the ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter, so it's a special day for us, a special day for us to celebrate. And I think it's important to understand what that means. What is this chair that's so special that has kept the church all together? I want to talk about this today. So the chair of St. Peter, of course this is what we call like the Pope's chair, the Petrine office. It's a symbol of the Holy Father's authority. You can go to Rome, you can go to the Vatican, to St. Peter's Basilica, and they have the chair that some people think is the chair that Peter actually used. Not quite sure. But it's a good symbol either way. You can go and see it. So the chair is the symbol of the authority of the Holy Father. Chairs have always been symbols of authority. You consider, you know, think about like uh, a king's throne. That's a symbol of his authority. We don't have kings in this country, but we have judges. The judge has a particular seat which he makes judgments from. You might consider things like what Jesus talked about in Matthew 23. 
He talked about the seat of Moses that the Pharisees and the scribes sat in, that they had a particular authority because of that seat. Now, for us as Catholics, our bishops have cathedrals that they govern from. The word uh, cathedra is Latin, and it means chair. So a cathedral is the chair or the seat of authority from which a governor, or from which a bishop governs his diocese. And so today, we are celebrating the solemnity of the chair of St. Peter. It's this Petrine office that our Lord established that would become the source of unity for the church. Now you heard in our gospel today from Matthew 16 when the Lord established that chair, when he established the chair of St. Peter, when he gave Peter this special authority, this kind of centralized authority. He, he told him, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So he's giving him legislative authority, authority to make decisions for the whole of the Christian church. Of course, he also gave this kind of same binding and loosing authority to the other apostles who would want to serve as bishops and rule in the church. But he gave it to Peter in a special way. We see this symbolized in the keys of the kingdom. He says to you, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. What's the deal with these keys? Why did our Lord give, us, give him, symbolically at least, these keys? Well, to understand the keys, you need to understand that our Lord did what was pretty standard amongst Jewish kings. He was the son of David in the royal line, so he was establishing his kingdom. And like past Jewish kings, he put into place what's called the office of the keys. Jewish kings had what you might call the office of the keys or a steward, who was kind of like second in command. So you have Christ, who's the king of the church. He's the king of the kingdom of God. But then he put into place Peter, uh, into this, he established this office for Peter and the other popes called the office of the keys or the office of steward. You heard about it in uh, Isaiah 22. This is our first reading where it talked about uh, these not-so-good stewards, uh, Shebna, this not-so-good steward who was going to be removed and replaced with another steward, a guy by the name of Eliakim, if I remember right. So also, in the Catholic Church, when one steward completes his stewardship uh, as a Holy Father, he's replaced with another so this is where our Lord got this whole idea of, he's the king, of course, he's in charge, ultimately, but the steward is the one who runs the day-to-day affairs. You know, in Jewish kingdoms, the steward would be the one, for example, who would open the gates of the city. He had binding and loosing authority, he could make laws, and that sort of thing. So our Lord established this office for the church, uh, to bind us together, to be a source of unity. I heard somebody compare this office of the chair of St. Peter to the Supreme Court. So our, the fathers of our nation, when they established this country, they wrote a constitution, but they knew that different people would read that constitution and interpret it differently. That there needed to be some office that could authoritatively interpret the constitution. Otherwise, people would interpret it however they wanted to, and the country would break into disunity. So the, the founders of our country established the Supreme Court who could authoritatively interpret the Constitution so that we could stay united, so we could have a singular understanding of the Constitution and stay together. So also our Lord, who had just as much wisdom and more wisdom 
than the founders of this nation when he established his kingdom. He put into place this office of the chair of St. Peter so that Peter and his successors could authoritatively interpret the teachings of our Lord for the church so that we could stay united, so that we could stay together. So in this way, the chair of St. Peter is the secret, the source of the unity in the Catholic Church. However, I would go on to point out that this is more than just a genius idea to put this together as a, a source of unity. Our Lord, when he established the chair of St. Peter, he went beyond simply a good idea. He gave to Peter and his successors who would rule from this chair supernatural protection so they wouldn't make any errors when it came to doctrine. Our Lord knew that Peter was a sinner, that he would do wicked things from time to time, that others who would sit in that chair would do the same. And so our Lord gave to the chair of St. Peter and those who would sit in it this supernatural protection to stop them from making an error when it comes to the official teachings of the church, promulgated in an official way from the chair. Remember what our Lord said to Peter? He said to him, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Meaning, Peter, whatever you, whatever you bind Christians to, whatever rules that you make for the church, I'm going to put my stamp on it from heaven. I'm going to back you up. The only problem is, is that the very next instant, uh, uh, well, so the, the only way for him, let's go back here, the only way for him to say that, to give him that binding and loosing authority, that supernatural authority from heaven, was to also protect him from officially using that authority to teach heirs, even though he was a sinner. Because consider this, so we read from Matthew 16 today. If you were to keep reading, the very next instant after our Lord had given him this authority, Peter went on to do the devil's work. Scripture is very clear about this. Peter turned to the Lord. Our Lord apparently had been talking a little bit about the crucifixion. And he said, no, Lord, this must never happen to you. And Jesus responded to Peter. He said, Get behind me, Satan. So one instant, he's giving him this supernatural authority. In the next instant, this Peter is doing the devil's work. And this is not the first time that it happened. This would happen in various different times throughout church history. Peter wasn't the only one who did the devil's work. We got other examples. For example, John the 12th in the 10th century he gave land to one of his mistresses, was known for murdering people. He eventually was caught in bed with another guy's wife and killed by that man. We have Benedict IX in the 11th century, who's known for selling the papacy. We have Urban VI in the 14th century, who uh, complained that the cardinals that he was having tortured, who had conspired against him, were not screaming loudly enough. Others that sat in that seat would do wicked, evil things. The devil's work, just like Peter had done. And yet, 
Our Lord protected all these men supernaturally from, even though they would sin, from making any errors when it comes to doctrine officially promulgated from the chair of St. Peter. Otherwise, he could not have said to them, to Peter and his successors, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The only way he could have said that is by also providing them with a supernatural protection to stop them from officially making errors, even though they're sinful men that sit in that seat. As a community of the chair of St. Peter, this is what we're named after, after the chair of St. Peter, we have a special obligation, a unique calling of unity, uh, united around this chair. So the chair of St. Peter was created because of those coming back to the church who wanted to be not united with the Holy Father, to be united under this chair. This means it's part of our identity. This means that we have a job of evangelizing and sharing about what the chair of St. Peter means. That it's this, this great gift that you and I can unhesitatingly put our full trust in this chair because it has supernatural protection. And it is our mission to evangelize, to share with others about this good news, this firm foundation, this rock-solid foundation that we have. Now, I would encourage you to not give in to the temptation to be critical of the Holy Father, to speak badly of him, to disparage him. This doesn't mean that you can't disagree with him, that you have to agree with everything that he does or says, but this is a calling uh, to be respectful, to love him, to pray for him, not to give in to the temptation. There's a big temptation to be critical, to say unkind things about the Holy Father, especially here in the United States, in the English-speaking world, as his fiercest um, critics, those who um, don't particularly, you know, are, are very uh, opposed to some of the things that, that he's doing. Um, and it's not, it's, it's news outlets online and written and on TV, even priests, some priests, bishops and archbishops consider it a holy obligation to speak out against uh, the Holy Father in oftentimes very disrespectful ways. Uh, our calling as children of the church, as faithful children of the church, is to honor our Holy Father. Uh, just as children honor their parents. Uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that respect toward parents fills the home with light and with warmth. Uh, those who are being disrespectful, disparaging, they kind of rob the church of that warmth. But honor brings light and warmth. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he talked about this lowliness, meekness, forbearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what we do when we honor and love the Holy Father, our Holy Father, Pope Francis. He was a seminarian, uh, he's now a priest, Father Zach Rodriguez of the Diocese of Austin, who was telling a story about his experience serving in Rome. Uh, he was asked to serve at one of the Holy Father's Masses, Pope Francis's Masses. He was asked to be the, uh, the book bearer for him. And so at the beginning of the Mass, Pope Francis came in and he was being his, his joyful, jubilant self, 
uh, cracking jokes with people and making everyone feel comfortable. And uh, the master of ceremonies told Zach, uh, not only do you need to hold the book for the Father, for the Holy Father during Mass, I need you to hold the book for him while he vests. Um, but don't say anything to him. Hand him the book. Zach went into the Holy Father's private sacristy along with the Holy Father. And he said that he was, he was struck by how the Holy Father prayed as he was uh, putting on his vestments, praying these vesting prayers. Uh, the word that, that Zach used was that he sank. It was as though the Holy Father, he, he sank into himself. He said it, it wasn't like, you know, this very public figure had a chance, you know, in, in his private sacristy to take off a mask or anything like that. No. No, it was as though he, he, he kind of sank into himself. As though all of the weight that he had on his shoulders, he could, at that moment, just kind of set it aside and simply be with the Lord. And Zach said that as the Holy Father, as he prayed these prayers, he prayed it with this such reverence, such intensity, that it was singular. He said, I'll never forget that moment. He said, this man who holds on his shoulders the agonies, the burdens of the entire church, of the world, for one moment, he got to see him set this aside and, and fully give himself to the Lord. Zach said that changed the way that I looked at the Holy Father. It changed the way that I prayed for him. He's like, not only now do I pray for the office, but I pray for the man. Don Bosco said, if you're with the Pope, you are with Christ himself. Therefore, vow fidelity and love to him unto death. Don't give in to the temptation to speak badly, to disrespect the Holy Father. Love him. Honor him. Pray for him. St. Ambrose, that great uh, fourth century teacher, doctor of the faith, bishop, said, where Peter is, there is the church. He said, he who is not with the Pope is not with God. And who desires to be with God must be with the Pope. Today, as we celebrate this solemnity of the cheer of St. Peter, as members of the ordinary of the cheer of St. Peter, we're grateful for this rock solid foundation for this structure that Christ gave to his church, for this unbreakable unity, the chair of St. Peter, crafted by Christ himself, given this supernatural protection, protecting the Holy Father from making any errors when he speaks officially from the chair of St. Peter. As members of the chair of St. Peter, we honor Pope Francis, we love Pope Francis, in spite of what some may see as his flaws, today we celebrate that love. We celebrate our identity as a community of the chair of St. Peter. Amen.